Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back or welcome to Gardening Naturally. Um, Lovely day. Tomorrow's going to be stunning for the last day of the year. The temperatures are going to be just amazing. Beautiful day. Hope we get to enjoy it. Let's go to the phone. This is, uh, let's see, where are we? This is Tony. Tony, what can I help you with? Oh, sorry, we lost Tony. How about Eileen? I was calling to ask about uh, blue bonnet seeds. I found a packet that's been sitting in my kitchen, and I would like to, can I just throw them out now? Or yep. can I soak them first and then throw them out? Or, I mean, you know, in the yard to, to plant them out in the yard. Nope, you can just go toss them out right now. Oh, we're going to get rain. Alrighty. We're going to get rain, so that's going to get them started for you. You don't have to oh. soak them first. Okay. But okay. You could, yeah, go ahead, toss them out, walk on them so that you push them down into the soil. But, um, yeah, do it now. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Happy New Year. You too. Okay. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks, wildflower seeds you can toss out now. Now, some of your wildflower seeds you toss out now, they may not show up for, you know, weeks, months maybe, but you can throw them out now. Nature does so. Nature will throw the blue bonnet seeds out in the middle of July right? They bloom, the blooms go away, the seeds pop out. So the seeds will set until the conditions are right for them to germinate. So you can do it now. You don't have to treat them nice. You don't have to do anything to them. You can just get them to start now. That's all you want to hope for. It'll, uh, Hopefully, we'll have a good year for blue bonnets. Kind of hard to tell yet. Let's go to the phone. This is David. David, what can I help you with? Oh, thanks, Jeff. Um, what you were just talking about, do you at least have to tell them sweet nothings? Just toss them out? No sweet yeah. nothings? Yep. Uh, pulling a joke on you. Hey, I, I heard before the top of the hour you were talking about uh, alkali soil. Um, do you, you got? Uh, I'm the guy from out in California, so I don't know just how many oak trees do you have out there. They have like uh, acidic uh, leaves, right? Uh, do oaks grow in Texas? Tremendously, for the most part. Um, it's not that the leaves are acidic. It's the decomposition process increases the acidity. 
So you'd have to figure a way to, what, introduce something that'll eat those leaves that would uh, uh, be able to add acid to the alkali? Naturally, they do. Most of the soil biology uh, produces enzymes to break down organic matter from big pieces to small pieces. Those enzymes are highly acidic. Now, granted, we're talking about a single bacteria. So fortunately, they don't make gallons and gallons of this enzyme. But with enough of them, with enough food for them, they're going to break down the uh, organic matter. And that process produces enzymes, which lowers the pH, acidifies the soil. So the constant organic matter is what makes the soil less and less alkaline. Now, forests, many of our heavily wooded areas, the soil tends to be more acidic because they have so much organic matter from the leaves that fell that breaks down, that gets eaten by this biology, that adds the enzymes to break it down, and the soil becomes more acidic than it is in places where we have grasses. Well, it sounds like you've uh, answered uh, just what I'm leading up to for the purpose of the call, and that was soil retention. So what you're talking about is uh, if... if uh, if that organic matter can stay in place longer, it'll build up the uh, the viability of the soil. But if it gets washed away, like these big gully washers or dust storms or anything else, uh, uh, you're going to lose the uh, the topsoil. Every bit is precious. So what I'm what I was leading up to is: Are there if somebody only owns like two acres of land? But there are some like USDA uh, soil retention uh, grants so that you can get, uh, you know, I know farmers can get grant money from USDA uh, to make sure that they protect their soil. Can like small parcels qualify for that? Uh, No idea. You'd have to apply to USDA to see if they do. Uh, provide something like that. Of course, the one of the best retainers of soil is grasses. So if you are um, spreading field grasses, and there are a lot of them, and you can get seeds easily for them, that's the easiest way to retain soil, especially on things like slopes or runoff areas that will keep the soil in place and grasses. This actually happens for a large number of plants. They will produce a root and that root will do what roots are supposed to do for that plant. But at some point the plant will go, thanks, you did what I need you to do. And the plant will cut off that root. Once it does that, that root becomes organic matter. It's not growing anymore. It's just dead material that the plant naturally produces 
in the process of extending its roots. And that's one of the things grasses are particularly effective at. Yeah, well, that said, um, yeah, I'm just, you know, thinking about like last summer, what was it? Yeah, was it? Oh, it was over two months of like 109 temperatures. There are probably a lot of soil bacteria that are, if they're still alive, they're just scraping by. And uh, so, is there anything that people could do like soon to protect or enhance uh, uh, the soil bacteria and the, you know, the viability of the soil? Uh, I mean, obviously, bringing in topsoil is a good idea. Or capturing all those leaves, making sure they don't get uh, washed down to the Gulf. And, um, yeah, just wondering what people could do to prepare their soil and keep it uh, viable for in case there's another horrible uh, drought year. We haven't. We are not out of our drought yet. As a matter of fact, it has been expanding since this summer. They just gave a drought report for Central Texas, and we are in the worst conditions that they categorize the drought. One of the things you can do is to provide food to all of those little critters. And an easy way are things like soil activators, molasses, those kind of products actually provide carbohydrates, which became a food source for those critters. And those critters will then work on the acidity, retaining water, and building that soil back up. So those are the easiest things that you can do, and you can do them now. Uh, David, I'm up against a break. Uh, thank you for the call, folks. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Let's go to the phone. This is Mike. Mike, what can I help you with? Yes, thanks for taking my call. I'm going to put a, a flower bed or a butterfly garden in the corner of my yard. It was a big old tree there, and I left it about everything cut down except about 15 feet. Now, do I need to dig up some of them roots? or Because I'm not going to cut the tree down. I was going to make a vine go up it and then put other things underneath it. What do you suggest I put, and how deep do I need to plant that, uh, build up that soil to it? Okay, one of the things about that is if if you could somehow magically remove all the dirt and look at the roots of the tree, there's actually lots of gaps in there. There's plenty of places for other plants to set their roots without having to worry about that tree's roots being in the way. Okay. Now, since, since the tree's dead, that's a really good use for it. You could depending on the vine you choose, hook those vines so they'll grow up that tree for you. The tree's not going to be bothered by the vine because it's already dead, and you don't have to remove it. So it's kind of like a free fence post. Yes, that's what, what? I was planning on doing, finding something that's kind of evergreen. They told me it's a nursery. Green and growing told me that, and, and so did McIntyre's. 
And then I was going to plant some. What do you suggest as far as plants go in there? It's going to be about all 15 foot by six feet. Well, um, there's some questions here. There's uh, some really good, strong vines that grow around here. One of them is called Confederate Star Jasmine. The problem is, is I don't think it'll go to 15 feet tall. It, it don't have go, to be. It don't have to go that high. Okay. Well, if you go to about six to eight feet tall, it's evergreen. It's native. And when it blooms, it has a white bloom to it, very pretty. It smells like heaven. It it really does. Most beautiful scented plant. Okay. It's very tough, handles our environment. Uh, it will need a little help. You may have to run some strings or wires to get that it. That won't to be no problem. Up. Then that's a good choice. There is one called uh Carolina jessamine not jasmine jessamine it is a very good it is a taller vine lots of green leaf to it and it has yellow flowers in the spring it tries really hard to be evergreen and usually it is um it grows fast it grows tall it would work for you then you okay. could always look you could always look at the the trumpet vines. Now trumpet vine will easily grow fifteen feet high. Okay. It has a pretty uh pretty flower to it, draws in hummingbirds. It can look kind of ragged in the cold weather, but it will come back, be green, produce plenty of flowers. Um it will it's a perennial. It will last for years, and uh, it doesn't have a really strong scent to it. It just looks good, but it is uh, it is a really strong vine. Yeah. It, uh, that's a good source for it to grow on, too. Yeah. There's also one more called Texas Wisteria. Um, it has a really dark purple color to it, not like you would see other wisterias. It uh, will grow well. Uh, it is pretty much evergreen, and the flowering, it's gorgeous. It, it really has great color to it. It's not real common, but you can find it at many nurseries. Uh, but it's one that would just love that tree because it would be strong enough to hold it up. Yeah, it's big around. Well, what I'm worried about, I just don't want something that I have to cut back and and have to tear it down every year and, and re-let it go back. That's what I was worried about. Um, the Confederate Star Jasmine, the Carolina Jessamine. Okay. The wisteria and, for the most part, the trumpet vine, you should not have to cut them back every year. They yeah. will just grow to their max, and that's what you'll have. 
You may have to okay. clean up coal damage every once in a while because okay. they will freeze some of the end of the vine if we get cold enough, but that's not every year, and uh, it's not a lot of work to uh, get rid of that. See, because I'm a plant in front of it, and that's going to be in the corner of the fence where the two fences come together. And then I didn't want to have to go in amongst all of whatever I planned in front within reason. Got it. Got it. Uh, the ones I named uh, should not require you to do that kind of maintenance good, very often. Good. That's a good choice. Good choices. What do you think as far as planting in front of it uh, to, for the hummingbirds and the uh, butterflies and stuff? Um, uh, that should work. Uh, you will get all kinds of wildlife attacking that. Butterflies, uh, hummers will come by, and uh, especially the trumpet vine. So those are good choices. Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate it. You've answered a bunch of my questions. I just worried about them roots. If I needed to halfway try to dig them up and and dig down, but uh, that answered a bunch of questions for me. The worst you'll have to do, let's say you buy a vine and it comes in a three-gallon container. You may have to dig a hole deep enough to put the whole container in there. That's only 12 inches. Yeah. As yeah. you're digging that 12 inches, you may run into some old roots, which just cut them out. And, yeah, uh, I could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they'll be fine. But you should be okay with it. Well, that'll work. Well, I sure appreciate it. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Have a good uh, New Year's, and uh, hopefully you'll get this thing up and covered with fine quick so that you got plenty of hummers and butterflies this spring. Uh, Mike, thanks for the call. Uh, Folks, this is a really good opportunity he's showing here. He lost the tree, but he didn't cut it down. It's going to be... Um, a big, tall fence post to grow things on. That's a great use of a dead tree. And it should last for years, considering the size we're talking here. That is a great way to provide uh, a great feature in your landscape. The, The vines I named off, many of them have beautiful blooms. And, uh, Without a doubt, it's it's tough to beat the scent. It is so beautiful to smell the Confederate star jasmine. You can be walking down a street and you can know who's planted it simply by walking by on the sidewalk. You can smell it from 50 feet away. Great plant for Central Texas. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming to the bottom of the hour. We need a break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, folks. 
um, got a question. And if you have the space, a lot of people want greenhouses because when it's this cold weather, you can bring citrus in, you can start seeds, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, there are all kinds of sizes of greenhouses. Not only are there all kinds of sizes, but there's different coverings. You can use uh, double-walled plastic, which creates an insulation barrier. You can use carbon uh, carbonate, which is this plastic that has uh, gaps in it, so it's insulated. It's like a, a double-pane window, and it's made out of plastic. The, the decision is, how long do they last? Because the carbonate plastic siding are really good at providing insulation. So they will keep your greenhouse warm, but exposure to sunshine over time yellows them. So they don't look great. And you don't get as much sun. And if you're talking about a double bag, which is two layers of the uh, clear plastic roll material over your greenhouse, it has a relatively short lifespan. Yeah, it's usually good for, well, maybe it'll be good for up to about four years. You can get ones, uh, a little thicker plastic, which is more expensive, that can last even longer. And there's different kinds of greenhouses. There are ones made by companies that look like a shed. There are square buildings. And then depending on the size, you can get one that's 96 feet long and about 36 feet wide. There are all kinds of styles of greenhouses. And you have to remember the, the problem is Even with a greenhouse, you think you have this big advantage. And the reality is you have a relatively short time advantage. Because in the summer, your greenhouse, depending on the kind of greenhouse you have, will just get too hot for your plants. So you can have a really big greenhouse with lots of opportunity, but you can't cool it. You can't keep the temperature down in it enough. Now, granted, there are ventilation systems. Depending on the size you buy, there could be fans that are built into it to keep the air moving and as cool as possible. There are propane heaters that you can install in them to keep the greenhouse warm in the super cold weather. I mean, there are so many combinations of things you can do with the greenhouse. 
You can get one of those simple pop-up ones. They have a, a whitish fabric. It, it's kind of one with the uh, flexible supports. You fold it up and springs open when you're ready to use it. And you can keep a few plants in there. That may be enough for a particular specialty plant. Maybe you've got one citrus plant that you really want to keep. And that would be enough for your one potted citrus tree. But they, they too have their pros and cons. They're really short season here. Greenhouses here wind up being too hot, especially in the sun, the summer and sunny months. So they're not a huge benefit. There are a lot of greenhouse manufacturers in this country. There is a place that uh, called Farm Tech. Farm, T-E-K. They produce a, a bunch of greenhouse kits. They're out of Iowa. They ship the greenhouse kit to you. And they range in sizes from, you know, a little four by four. Or you could do uh, as big as the 96 foot long, 36 foot wide ones. So there's all kinds of combinations you could get if you're looking for a greenhouse. You really need to evaluate how big a piece of property do you have and how much are you looking at spending. And depending on the size, you may be able to make your own greenhouse, make a hoop house, cover it with the uh, uh, plastic covering, the six miller grader plastic, make your own greenhouse. Or you can get the, uh, the triple glazed polycarbonate, which is really strong, really strong, and can withstand even some hail. So many combinations. You can look at farm tech. Now, there is a um, company in Austin that manufactures some of the most beautiful greenhouses. They're actually more atriums than greenhouses. And they're new here in Austin. They are absolutely gorgeous places. Sorry, I will go hunt down their name. Don't know it off top of my head again uh, and make sure I bring it up uh, uh, tomorrow. But there are so many decisions that need to be made when you are talking about having a greenhouse. And one of the things about it is you need to have proper expectations. It's not going to be a lot of help for you in the summer. Even with automatic windows, automatic coolers, and lots of fans, it just gets too hot. 
Imagine your greenhouse when it was 105 degrees this summer. Not good. Let's go to the phone. This is Melissa. Melissa, what can I help you with? Um, yes, I got a, an Italian stone pine in a container from a flipper, yes. and I want to put it in the ground and hopefully grow a tree, and I wasn't sure if I could do it now or should I wait till spring? You know, um, if you don't do it now and and it's okay to wait till spring, just make sure you get it outside in the container once in a while. It'll need the sunshine, but um, I would wait till we're pretty much past the chance of a hard freeze, and you want to um, understand that the Italian stone pine can get rather large. It's not a small tree. It's a gorgeous tree, but know that it can get kind of big, so make sure you got room for putting it there. It will okay. grow here. It will grow here and do well. Uh, it's an attractive tree. Um, when you plant it, you really want to amend the soil well. They want good drainage. So if you live in a clay environment, you may want to get some decomposed granite or expanded shale or things like that and add it to the soil that you're going to plant the tree in. But that is a really, um, that's the proper way to do a Christmas tree. To go cut a tree down so you can throw it away, no, there are better ways. You're going to get a big, beautiful tree out of this. And you can celebrate many Christmases with that tree. Okay. Um, and I know it likes sun, but I, you know, thinking, oh, should I plant it in full sun? But then I remember our summer. Would it be too hot in the full sun? <clears throat> no, not necessarily. It does want full sun. And uh, it is uh, it is a tree that you would see in the Mediterranean, which gets as hot as we do and has soil similar to ours. So our environment should be good. You want to be careful. When people plant that particular tree, a lot of times they'll over water it. So make sure okay. it drains really well. Amend the soil so it drains really well. And uh, remember that you check to see if it needs water by sticking your fingers in the ground. You don't mm -hmm. go, oh, I water it every Saturday. No, you water it when it needs it. So it should go from a good deep soaking to pretty dry before you water it again. But it will grow here. And uh, like I said, it's a, it's a great tree. Okay, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for the call, Melissa. Yeah, folks, this is how you should do Christmas trees. Um, whether you get the, the shaped lavender trees or the rosemary trees or the Italian stone pines that are cut as Christmas trees, that's how you do a Christmas tree. 
You have it every year and you watch it get bigger and bigger for you. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I gotta take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, listen, uh, I need folks, uh, remember when the, we move to next year, your nurseries are going to start getting in their fruit trees. So... You might want to consider, hey, do I want to plant a fruit tree? Where would I put it? And you might want to read up a little bit and see, what do you need for a fruit tree? Some trees you're going to need, too, because you need a pollinator. Fortunately, not with peaches. You do not need two peaches to get a tree to produce peaches. So start checking out the local nurseries to see what varieties. If you're interested in things like pecans, they will be arriving then also, as will fig trees. We're probably going to be seeing grapes showing up here at the start of the new year. Um, the, The fruit trees. This is the time of the year that you want to be uh, thinking about those. Now, one of the things that I'm getting asked about, and I don't, I don't blame folks, how do you recover your yard? Right now, your grasses will be dormant anyway. All right? So if your yard is all brown right now, that's not necessarily because your turf is dead, it's dormant. We do not have an evergreen turf in Central Texas. We'd like to, but we really don't. What can you be doing? Well, when David called earlier, I mentioned the use of uh, molasses and soil activator. Those products will help build the soil back up and they can help compensate for the damage that was done to the soil by the drought. We are still in a drought, by the way. It hasn't gone away, so we should be approaching that now. Start working to improve your soil. You can top dress now. Remember, you only need about a quarter inch to a half an inch of a good quality compost, not topsoil, spread across your turf. Dry molasses can be used. You can distribute that if you don't want to use a hose end sprayer and a liquid molasses. These kind of products are going to build up the 
organic matter in the soil, those little living creatures that change the nutrients into the proper form for your plant. They open up pockets to preserve water and oxygen. Those are the things you can be doing now. You can do aeration now too. You are preparing the soil to get it ready. We're not gonna have green grass again for a while. The temperatures, the temperatures gonna be too cold. Those grasses are gonna be dormant and they're gonna look brown. But by working the soil, as soon as we get warm enough for the dormant roots to go active again, Getting that soil ready will get healthier turf started early in the spring. Um, let's see, we've got some other questions. So, Oh, a question about uh, blackfoot daisies. My blackfoot daisies have frozen in the ground before and come right back. Now, they will go dormant. You won't see blooms and you may not see very many stems from them, but they come back in the spring. I have, I don't cover them. As a matter of fact, I found that if you treat them too nice, you put them in a really nice flower bed. I don't like that. They are kind of a bad soil type of plant, but they survive a breeze around here just fine. And they reseed fairly easily. You will, if you plant blackfoot daisy, you're gonna find you're going to start seeing blackfoot daisy growing in places you didn't put it because they will reseed easily and, and do really well around here. Let's see. Uh, what else have we got? Um, most of us, all of those tree leaves have fallen. Yeah, cold weather. I got uh, I got a naked bur oak. I got a chink pin that's not long for this in terms of having leaves on it. So what do we do? We don't throw those leaves away. The best choice is to just leave them. All kinds of critters survive in that leaf litter. So leaving it there, it will break down and it will feed your trees again. Now, if you want, and it's like, boy, I got a whole bunch of it, mow it and bag it. That will break it down. That will put it in something where you could go and distribute it where you need it. But please, all those leaves, the best choice is to leave them be. The absolute worst choice <laughs> 
is to bag them up and throw them in the trash. Those leaves are incredibly, incredibly valuable for our soil, and they're going to be the thing that's going to help prepare our soil to handle the drought if it doesn't end. It, they'll break up the soil. They'll be a food source for the biology that will preserve water. Don't be throwing your leaves away, folks. They're falling now. If they haven't fallen already, leave them where they're at. That'll be fine. You don't like how it looks? Mow them and bag them. Rake them up. <coughs> Excuse me. They are not to be thrown away. They are one of the best additions you can have for your property. And they will do a lot of work at making your soil richer, hold water better, and return all kinds of micronutrients back to the soil. So keep those leaves out there. Don't get rid of them. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll need to break for the news. I will talk to you all again tomorrow at 8 a.m. I hope you have a wonderful day today. It's going to be beautiful. I'll see you then. <laughs>